Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much that you are faithful no matter what. God, we love you, and we pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to be here today. This is a a day that I have feared um, for a month or six weeks or so, and here's the reason why. Like, uh, if you're an anthemer and you're involved in in what I'm about to tell you, you know, uh, we have this Google Doc spreadsheet that's got all our volunteers on it, and this was like that one Sunday where it's like, everyone's going to be out of town. So I'm actually grateful that there is a, a lot of folks in the room. So praise God for that. That's like, that's just good. It's good to see God continue to, to add people and bring people and, and see good things happening here. Uh, so I'm also grateful that we're here uh, because God protected our facilities uh, just a couple of nights ago. I don't know if you were walking in. Some of the people, you may not notice, like there was like a truck a couple of nights ago that actually like ran into our building. Uh, they hit the, they clipped the front of the building, the, the gray vestibule area, and they, they did some damage there, but fortunately, didn't knock any windows out, the doors shut, the facility's secure, so we were, we were very much uh, spared from any additional stuff uh, from that. So, anyway, may God have mercy on the person there. I'm kidding. No, not really. Like, I'm kidding. Uh, it's just part of life. I mean, it, stuff like that comes up. They did drive away, so... Anyway, just keep you up to speed with all this stuff that's happening in the life of our church. It's always exciting around here. Um, so let's just get, let's get into it. Um, I'm not a runner. I don't like running. I have never enjoyed running. It is not my thing. I know that there are several people, probably some of you, tons of people in the world that, that love running. They're all about running. They like the runner's high and all that. I, I don't get it. That's not me. I wasn't built for running. I'm 5'8", 200 pounds. I was made for smashing. I was not created to, to run any amount of distance other than maybe like as a fullback running five yards. That's pretty much it. That's all I was ever made to do. Um, and on top of that, over many years and just ridiculous activity, I've destroyed my knees. I've had multiple surgeries on both knees, and my right knee in particular. I have literally no cartilage whatsoever, so it's bone on bone. So even if I was a runner, it's not something that I should do or that I would want to do because it just aches and it pains and it throbs and and all that. That being said, though, in a few short weeks, I'm heading to Haiti. I'm getting on a plane and going on a mission trip to Haiti. And what's going to happen during that week is that I'm going to be out for an entire week exposed under the Haitian August sun, helping out with a soccer ministry playing with kids, running around. And so what I've been needing and wanting to do for a while is actually shed a few LBs, try to get into a little bit of shape for when I, for when I get down there. And so I've been at it for, for about a month or so, trying to, trying to get where I need to, to get. And this past week, I added running into my regimen, into my training regimen. So I get up Wednesday morning, and I just 
went out of my neighborhood at a Whetstone West and then started like jogging through through town. And uh, I'll be honest with you, the first two miles were kind of nice. Were they were okay? I was getting it. I was doing all right. And then somewhere along the line, somewhere in mile three, something started happening. My my knees started throbbing. My legs, my thighs just started burning. I, I do believe I heard my lower back yell obscenities at me. Like my body was not pleased at all with what I was doing. And it wasn't just like the physical pain of like my knees and lower back and all this stuff. It's just that I'm out of shape. Like just that, that feeling I can't breathe and I don't have the energy. It's just I'm just terribly out of shape and lack endurance. And so the reality is that before I go, I need to build some endurance. I need to build some wind up, and the only way to build endurance, the only way to run more is to run more, right? That's how it works. The only way to run more is to actually run more, so I need to run more. So between now and the time I go to Haiti, I'm going to be adding a few more runs throughout the week, you know, two, three more, just to see, can I get my endurance up whatsoever? Because when I get down there, I'm going to be with a bunch of kids, and we're going to be in the sun, and we're going to be playing, and I'm going to be running drills, and I want to connect with them, and I want to hug them, and I want to share the gospel with them, I want to minister to them, and do that while not passing out. Like, that's kind of like part of the goal. Not just doing it, but surviving that, that whole mess. So I'm going on this trip. It's going to require endurance. Here's the thing. It's not just those of us going on the trip that need to build some endurance. All of us need to build endurance. And it may not be physical endurance that you're in need of building, but certainly, if you're a Christian, building spiritual endurance for for this life. Christians, we are called, get this, and then just going to just jump right into it. We are called, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are called to labor day and night for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to serve well above and beyond the call of duty. We're called to love our neighbor and live for the glory of God all the time. That is the charge that has been placed upon our lives. That is what we agreed to the moment we said yes to Jesus, to be all in, fully committed, living for the glory of God and the good of others. That's the gig. That's the spiritual Christian gig. And and the truth is, if you've attempted this at all, you know that it's exhausting, right? That actually trying to live out the Christian life is exhausting, it's tiring. If we run through the course of our lives, we get winded, spiritually winded. We will ache in all sorts of manner. We will ache. It's not fun often. Sometimes it is. Sometimes doing this Christian thing, this church thing, isn't fun. It isn't pleasant. And we will often want to stop and quit we will want to throw the 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 towel in and let me just tell you that that's not an option it really is not an option at least not a good one at least it's not an appropriate option not if we really truly believe in the goodness and in the kindness of god 
So the right option, the good option, is not quitting, but to actually endure in our faith, to endure for the gospel. And, and, and as we go through that, to build up this endurance for the work of the gospel. And the way that we do that is the same way that we build physical running endurance. The way to love more is to love more. The way to serve more is to serve more. The way to give more is to give more. And what we'll find is that each week as we train and work out our salvation, see what I did there? As we work out our salvation, we will actually build a greater endurance for the work of Jesus, for the things that God has called us to do. Each week as we apply effort and energy toward the gospel and its furtherance, we will actually build a wind, a capacity to do even more and even greater. So that's what we're getting into. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Um, it's in the New Testament. It's right after 1 Timothy. It's right before Titus. And we're going to be spending our time in the verses that were read a little earlier. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And just to bring everyone, try to get us all on the same page, we're in the middle of a sermon series. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. And and. The way I like to just succinctly describe 2 Timothy is that it really is a Cliff Notes version of a Christian's job description. Like, if you're ever not sure what, is it, what it is that a Christian is supposed to be doing, like our day-to-day activity in our lives, just read 2 Timothy, and it spells it out pretty clearly, pretty succinctly there for us all. Um, And what we find in this book of the Bible is that it's just filled with charges from God to us. Like instruction, do this, don't do that, live this way, don't live this way. And one of the charges in 2 Timothy to us is to endure and to build endurance for the gospel. To endure in our faith and to build that endurance, that perseverance so that we can do more and more. And so this was written by the Apostle Paul. And really, if you like, kind of stand back and look at the scripture, what he's really doing in, in these few verses is he's coaching us. He's trying to motivate us. He's trying to, trying to be all Mickey, like to, to Rocky Balboa to us in these verses. He's trying to get us amped up to do the right thing, to coach us up. And, and he knew firsthand, as well as anyone, maybe more than most, how difficult it is to live the Christian life. It's tiring, exhausting. We're called to be persecuted, to suffer, and all of these things. So he knew how inconvenient and hard this Christian life is, but he also knew firsthand that it's worth it. Few people knew as well as as Paul just how worth it, how good it is. This is the, the blessed life. This is the right life. This is the way to do it. This is the way to pursue satisfaction, fulfillment. This is the way to do the right thing, to live out this kind of life. But to do that, we must endure. And one of the great promises of God is that those who endure in their faith, so other places in Scripture, those who persevere in their faith, those people, we are met with a great reward here, and we are met with a great reward in the life to come. So there is a payoff. There is a payoff from God. Those who endure, who build endurance, get a payoff in this life and in the one to come. So let's just kind of work our way down this text, and, and I'm just going to try to follow in Paul's footsteps here. I'm going to try to coach everybody up a little bit, if you'll allow me. I'm going to offer you three motivations Three um, 
motivations that I pray, I hope, will compel you, will stir you, will amp you up to actually embrace this life that God has called us to, that I hope will actually do something in your heart and compel you to go out there, endure for the gospel, endure for Jesus, and build up this endurance for all this work that he's called us to do. So, all right, motivation number one for a follower of Jesus is this. Remember your Savior. Always, always, every day, all day, every week, every moment of your life, remember your Savior. Look at verse 8. Says, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. And in that verse, there are two specific facts that are given to us about who Jesus is. One is he is risen from the dead. And the other one is that he is an offspring or a descendant of David. And these are extremely vital facts for us to understand why Paul happened to throw them in at this moment is that if one of these is not true, then Jesus cannot be who he claims to be. Both of these facts, the fact that he is risen from the dead and that he is a descendant of David, qualifies him to be specifically the Savior of the world. So let's begin with the first one, that he is risen from the dead. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ would be meaningless if not for the empty tomb. The resurrection, what we celebrate on Easter particularly every year, the resurrection is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. If there's no empty tomb, if there's no empty grave whatsoever, then there really is no such thing as Christianity. Our entire faith rests, hangs, and hinges upon whether or not Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. It tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it tells us that it is the power of the resurrection specifically that testifies to the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. It is that empty grave that definitively defines Jesus as God the Son. It is the fact that he is risen, that he was dead and that he rose from the dead, it is that specific fact that proves that Jesus was not a mere mortal, but that he is God himself. So here's how the logic unpacks itself. If Jesus is truly God, then he truly paid for our sin on the cross. If he's not God, he could not have. If Jesus is actually God in the flesh, if Jesus actually was crucified on that cross, and on that cross, your sin and my sin and your guilt and shame and our worries and our failures and our shortcomings and all of that, if, if all of that was actually placed upon his shoulders, and on that cross, if he actually did take the judgment of God that, that you deserve, that I deserve on account of our sin, and if he took it upon himself and he paid it in full, and then if he, in fact, did die the death that we deserve to die, because the wages of sin is death, Scripture tells us. And if he was raised from the dead on the third day, then let there be no mistake and no doubt in, in any way to any of us that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Savior. 
Everything hinges on the fact that he was raised from the dead. Everything. The entire story of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. A.K.A. we're wasting our time. Everything is about the resurrection, the power, the glory of God in that moment where he raised himself from the clutches of death. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at that last part. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus. Is there anything better than hope? Is there anything better than actual true hope? I would say no. That the, that the best thing that, this, that we can experience in life is having real hope. And by that, I don't mean wishful thinking. I mean certainty. What we would call true hope or what the Bible in this verse in particular refers to as living hope. There's nothing better than actually living gripped by living hope. Hope is the full assurance that God is for you. I mean, that's what living hope is. That God is with you, that he's for you, that he walks by you, in front of you, behind you, that he's protecting you and guiding you and leading you, providing. Like, is there anything better than knowing that almighty God, this generous, wonderful, all-wise, all-knowing God, that he is with you, taking care of you, shepherding you? Is there anything better than knowing that? And the answer is clearly no. Like, that's it. To know that there is God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that he is taking care of me, he's taking interest in me, that is hope. And living hope comes to us through a living Savior. Now, depending on what stream of Christianity you're from, if you grew up in church or if you've spent time in church, there is a tendency within certain of us that we leave Jesus bloody on the cross. And we only talk about the death and that's part of the story but the good news is that that's not the whole story like he was he did die but he's alive again we sing the song often here on sunday mornings he is alive like this that's the entire basis of our hope this hope that god offers this thing that we need in our lives is a free gift from god a god who loves us so much he was willing to die for you and so powerful that he was able to conquer death that's the power of the resurrection in our lives. That's the gospel. So I have to ask, have you partaken of the hope that is offered through the resurrection of Jesus? Have you tasted of the grace that is needed out to us through the crucifixion and the living again, the rising again of Jesus? And I would ask you, if you are, if you have tasted of the gospel, if you've embraced it and been gripped by it, be inspired. Be inspired today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. Be inspired that there is a God who loves you to the degree that he died for you. And not just that. That not only that he endured death for you, but that he conquered it, that you may have eternal life. 
May it be for all of us who are followers of Jesus that we are inspired to live our lives for the sake of Jesus who was willing to endure death for for us. The resurrection, remember your Savior. Remember the resurrection. So he says, remember Jesus Christ. And he adds there, Paul adds in verse 8, that he is specifically a descendant of David. Well, why does that matter? It matters for this reason. Back in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with King David of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He made a covenant, an unbreakable binding promise from God. He looks at David and he says, One of your offspring, one of your descendants, will in fact sit upon an everlasting throne and he will rule over an everlasting kingdom. That individual would be what is referred to as the Messiah the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Promised One, the Anointed One that would come to bring healing to the world and make everything the way that it's supposed to be. That's the promise that was made to David, and that promise was fulfilled about a thousand years after the fact, because God doesn't forget. He has a long memory. He keeps this promise, and that promise was fulfilled when Jesus Christ was born. His mother, Mary, was a descendant of David. His human adopted father was Joseph, a descendant of David. Jesus was a descendant of David. He was of the royal line. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The fulfillment of prophecy given long ago. You know, there's this tendency of some people thinking of God as some far-off, remote, distant, hands-off type of deity And that's not who God is, not the God of the Bible, not our God by any stretch. Our God, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's God Almighty, and he is with us. It tells us in Scripture that he is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is this descended royalty from King David, promised by God to rule over all. And he rules now even without, without rival of any sort. No one rivals King Jesus. He is the King of kings. He has the name above every name to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, a.k.a. King, Master of everything. And it's it's not just that he's all-powerful God. It's not just that he's almighty God, despot in some way, or, or some monarch. He's a benevolent king. He's a good and a gracious king. He loves us with a unbreakable covenant infinite eternal love that will not ever let go of his people ever under any circumstances will he ever let go and how vast is the love of jesus for us he who is king willingly died for you who does that You know, a parent may do it for a child, a close friend for a close friend. But God, to take on human flesh and come into this world and to die for your good and for my good. I mean, that's the definition of love. There is no greater love than that. So I ask, is it not a pleasure or should it not be a privilege to us to think of serving such a king 
That's the most wonderful treat that we could ever stumble into. Is there anything that should bring greater joy to our hearts than serving someone that loves us so much? To give of our lives and, and, and to give of our all to help and serve and to live for his glory and, and help our neighbor and do all, to do all these things because of what he's done for us. Is there anything that should bring a greater joy to us? Folks, remember, remember Jesus. Remember your Savior every day, all day, all the days of your life. Remember Jesus and celebrate him. Celebrate him. Rejoice in the cross. Rejoice in the sacrifice. Rejoice in the death. Rejoice in the empty tomb. He is the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of righteousness. He is the grace of God come to us. He is our risen king. He's our risen savior. And one day he's returning and he's going to make everything well. He's going to make everything right. Now I was telling someone yesterday um, at a funeral, it's like the last two weeks have been pretty tough if you're human and you've been living on planet Earth. I mean, we look around, I mean, Louisiana, Minnesota, Texas, France, Turkey, loved ones in our church losing loved ones. And it's, this is hard. And this is a, this is a hard life. And I, I wonder how many of us went to bed last night crying over whatever, or we're dealing with an addiction, or there's an issue in our marriage, or we're having trouble with a kid, or there's school problems, or work problems, financial problems, health problems, and there's a, all this turmoil. And I know there have been times in my life where I've been even at home trying to go up the stairs, and I literally physically have to stop because I'm so overwhelmed and I stop and I can't take another step. Now, I always try to be transparent with everyone. I am a pastor. That doesn't mean jack squat. I am as vulnerable as anyone to the things of this world. I sit in my office and cry often because I don't know what to do and how it's going to go and how do I pastor people and I'm trying to pastor, not pester. And I know what many of you are going through in your lives. I, I, I know this. Know this. Jesus is coming back. And this mess is going away. He was going to wipe away every tear. Every illness is going to be a thing of yesterday. Death is going to be eradicated. And this is all because there is a risen Savior King who loves us. Folks, be inspired, be stirred, be compelled that there's a God who loves you. Now, get after it. Get to work. Endure for the faith. Build endurance for the faith. And I've been saying it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to pander. This is hard. Church planting, missionary work ministry, being a Christian, this is, this is as hard as it gets. In this world, it's difficult. I mean, living for the glory of God is, in fact, the blessed life, but there is nothing easy. And God and Jesus himself, when he was on earth, he never said that it would be easy. In fact, he promised the opposite. 
It's never easy. So how do we push through? So again, I'm trying to be Mickey to you, right? You're a Rocky Balboa in this illustration. I'm Mickey. You know, you got to eat some lightning. Some of you get that, right? You got to eat some lightning. And here's how. Remember your Savior. And number two, remember your charge. Remember the charge that God has placed on your life. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Therefore, I endure all things, everything for the sake of the elect. And, and that word elect there, I'm going to just camp out just for one second. Some people smile because they get it. They get it. I'm just going to camp out for one second. Usually, when Christians stumble across this word, whether in their in, whether they're in a Bible study or someone's preaching it or in a book, or even if they're just by themselves, they hit this word and they only stop to argue. Even if they're by themselves, they're about to have a fight with someone over this word, you know, and it's more than likely themselves. And, and here's why. They're, and I'm going to launch this in some terms that if you're not familiar with, that's okay and blessed are you. All right. There, all of a sudden, people break out into Calvinistic camps and Armenian camps and free will versus predestination and the sovereignty of God over human culpability. And there's all this arguing and tension and which is it? So I personally find the argument and the discussion boring. Second, I find it myopic. And by that, I mean narrow-minded because most people who take a very dogmatic stance one way or the other are lifting up a portion of Scripture to the detriment or the neglect of another. So here's all I'm going to say on this topic today and probably ever up here. I won't say never. Never say never. Both are true. Both. There's free will and there's the sovereignty of God. There's the unthwartable will of God, and there's human responsibility. There's choice, and God is obviously at work. They're both true. The Bible affirms both. I don't understand how they work, but that doesn't make it less true. I don't understand how gravity works. doesn't mean that gravity doesn't work. just means I don't get it. I still don't understand how a plane flies. Lift. Yeah, I know, high pressure, low pressure. It doesn't make sense to my head, but it works. I'm getting on a plane in a few weeks. It better work. <laughs> the truth does not require me to fully understand it for it to be the truth. Okay? They're both real. I just don't understand how they both work simultaneously. That's fine. I'm a speck. I've, I just got on the scene in the terms of history. God is over all. He's infinite. He knows how it works. That's all that matters. Right? So I get it. They're both real. I'm more in line with uh, the theologian J.R. Packer. Uh, there is a tension between these two things in Scripture, and that's okay. I'm okay with it. I just believe what the Bible says. That's, that's where I land on it, if it matters to you. I believe that Christians, we can have different views on this topic, and it's okay to have different opinions on this topic so long as it never causes division or tension in the church, and so long as it never gets in the way of working together for the gospel. We can debate it all day long, so long as it does not keep us from pushing the grace of God further in this world. Enough, I digress back to what matters more. 
In verse 10, Paul says he endures all things for the sake of the elect, which here means God's people. That's all it means. It's just believers, future and present and past. Like, it's just referring to believers succinctly. Paul endures. He faces trial, suffering, good times, bad times, poverty, hunger, everything. He endures all things for the sake of the elect, for God's people. And specifically, though, in verse 10, it says that he endures all things for those who have yet to believe. Huh. It sounds like Paul is actually enduring all things for what we would call the lost, or those who are not yet in Christ, who have not yet believed. And that was his charge in life. He was called to be a fisher of men. He was called to evangelize, to be a witness for Christ, to go around sharing the gospel. That was, that was his gig, right? That was what he was called to do. He was called to share the gospel and expose people to the truth of God and to the grace of God, the, the crucifixion and the empty tomb. That was what he was supposed to do. Find people who don't know that and share it with them. So my question is, was that task unique to Paul? It very much sounds like the task that's been given to all believers, right? This is the duty. This is the charge that's been given to us. Jesus himself gave us this mission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that verse scares some people because they, they think, I guess that means i got to pack my bags and move to a different country. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. In the original Greek that that's written, to go there, it means as you go about your life, as you go about your living, as you go about your day, wherever life takes you, wherever God leads you, go to work, at play, at school, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, look for opportunities to talk about Jesus. Look for ways to expose people that are in your sphere of influence, friends and family, etc., to the grace of God. Be a fisher of men. Share the truth with others. And the truth is that as followers of Jesus, like our primary motivation for this is God. Like he's our Savior, right? Remember the Savior. He's died for us. He's our King. We do this for him who loved us first. That is primarily why we press on into this mission that he's given to us. But there is a secondary mission, or I should say a secondary motivation that is inextricably connected and linked to that primary motivation, and it is the good of others. The good of others. Living for God cannot be divorced from living for others. One time, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus instantly replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he did not even stop to take a pause, a rest, or a breath. He kept going. And a second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That it wasn't sufficient for Jesus to answer what they thought they needed, what they wanted to know. What they needed to know was, you cannot love God unless you love others. They're inextricably connected and linked to one another. We cannot say that we love the Lord if we don't love our fellow man. One of the key ways that we 
express our love for God in this world is by displaying love toward neighbor. And one of the vital ways that we display our love toward neighbor is by exposing them to the love of God. So I'm going to get in the time machine right now for some of you. When uh, Four years ago, I guess, when we were initially starting this church planting process, there's that initial core group that came together. And I would always lead through this very specific exercise as we would get to Bible study and, and all of that. What is it that we're doing? We're planting a church. But what is it that we're really doing? We're making disciples. But what is it that we're really doing? We're helping people to respond to God's love. But what is it that we're really doing? I, myself, am responding to God's love by helping other people respond to God's love. That's what we signed up for. That's a mission put in, in different language. That all of us who have embraced the gospel have committed to further it. Now, I said this several months ago, and it, it just stood out to me. I was just reading scripture where Jesus begins a conversation with some disciples before they became disciples, say Peter. And he begins the conversation by, follow me, and I'll make you fisher, a fisher of men. Like, that's how he invites them to, into Christianity. And he ends the conversation with the same thing. Right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he goes, and you shall be my witnesses. He begins and ends the conversation on earth with, you need to be on mission. I'm inviting you to a mission. And he reminds everyone at the end, be on mission. It's all about furthering the gospel, being this fisher of men, helping people to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll go so far as to say that Christianity without gospel mission cannot be called Christianity. No more than a toaster can be called a toaster if it can't make toast. Christianity without gospel mission cannot, in good conscience, be termed Christianity. You feeling me? Like you hear what I'm saying? And I, 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 I've been so excited about this series because this is what the entire book's about. So for the rest of it, this is all we're going to hear. And this is all we've been hearing. But we need this. We need, need this in our life. We need to live on mission. And it is hard. It's exhausting. It's scary. It's intimidating. Persecution comes with it. Way worse in other parts of the world. It's coming more, becoming more reality in this nation. Paul himself says in verse 9 in this text that he is in chains He's treated as a common criminal simply for talking about Jesus. So he's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And scripture tells us that believers will suffer for the sake of the gospel. We're called to be living sacrifices. To serve beyond the call of duty. To put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. To do all that we can all of, it, all of the time that God may be honored and that other people may be helped. That is it. That's everything. That's everything that we've been called to do. And so here at Anthem Church, that's why we serve in the ministries like we do. Music and tech team and host team and children's ministry. That's why we serve all the time. And many of us, we serve, we serve with multiple hats. 
because it's part of the calling. We're on mission together on Sunday mornings. Our Sunday school teachers are on mission on Sunday mornings. They're teaching our children the gospel. It's why we volunteer and we give of our time for outreach events and service projects that we do in the community. It's part of being on mission. Yes, I'd rather go fishing or I'd rather play golf or I'd rather go to the beach or I'd rather sleep in, but there's work to be done. That's why we go to Haiti in August. In August. Maybe, just maybe, God will use us while we're there. That's why we give financially. That's why we give of our time. That's why we give of talents and skills and gifting. And we pour it out and we go to bed tired and we, go to, we wake up on Mondays going to, bed, going to, to work tired. Because that's what we're called to do. It's why we, we connect with neighbors and try to reach out and get to know people. Maybe there's an opportunity to invite them to church or to our small group, to our A-team, or, or, or on our own to share our testimony, our story, and the gospel with the individual. It's why we strive to be men and women of integrity that we live out our testimony, not only through our words, but through our actions and our behavior, through our example. It's why we commit to Bible study, our small groups, our A-teams. It's why it's so important. We need to learn that we may be able, better able to teach others and to share the truth with other individuals. We serve when we're tired, we give when money's tight, and we love when it's inconvenient. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I love the fact that I'm looking around and people are nodding with a smile on their face. And I know that's hard. There's nothing easy about it. And the reason we serve and we give and we do all of this stuff every day and every week and all year and the rest of the, the reason we do that is because of what Paul says in verse 10. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect." that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We do what we did for the eternal good of others. It says it right there. Paul endured all things that other people may come to know the riches of God's grace. This is everything. Could you imagine something sweeter, something better than being used by God to bring someone else into the faith? That they too may have a seat in glory forever and ever. That they may experience forgiveness of their sin and now begin to live with a living hope. Is there anything better than doing that for someone else? Is there a greater act of love than sharing the gospel with a neighbor a friend, a family member, a co-worker. And it's toward that charge, toward that mission that Paul says in verse 10, I endure. I endure. To endure means to remain loyal even in the face of suffering. To remain loyal in the face of suffering. Endurance is unrelenting commitment that moves through difficulty 
It has a challenge and it goes through it. It keeps going. It does not give up. It's bravely bearing up under the hardships that life causes or brings our way because of our fidelity and our faithfulness to Jesus. In other words, to endure is the complete opposite of quitting. One of my personal worst memories and one of my greatest regrets in life, and not that in and of itself what I'm about to share is ultimately that big a deal, but just the feeling that I actually still get when I think about it. I was eight years old. I wanted to play baseball, got signed up for baseball, and with two weeks left in the season, I quit. And, and here's why. We had just moved to Anger. I'd never played any organized sport. Uh, I didn't get to play t-ball. No one taught me fundamentals. No one taught me how to hit or how to field. So I didn't know what I was doing, and so clearly I wasn't any good at it, and I actually spent most of the season just riding the pine. Because this is before every kid had to play. This is where certain kids didn't get to play because you didn't have business playing. I, I remember distinctly I only got one hit. I remember, I remember that memory. Uh, I did get on base four times in one game because I got hit four times <laughs> by the pitcher. So I could help the team that way, right? You can, you can crowd the plate and lean in a little bit. But with two weeks left, because it wasn't fun and I felt humiliated, I wanted to quit. So my dad said, if you're going to quit, you got to go up to the coach and do it yourself. And I remember this so vividly. It's Andrew Park, and he drives. I remember the field we were on. I got out. He stayed in the car. I walked. It was right before a game, so all the players, a lot of these are my friends. Their parents are there. And I walked up to the coach, and I quit. With two weeks left. And then I turned around, and I began a walk of shame that I have never forgotten. I've never gotten over that feeling of shame from quitting. See, quitting is nothing more than a lack of character, a lack of commitment, and a lack of courage. It's one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned because I don't think this is an exaggeration. I have never quit anything since. Statistics at UNC Chapel Hill we come in, there's 200 people in that classroom. The professor begins to speak. I think he literally just came to the States from India. His English was completely ununderstandable. As soon as he said hello, 90% of the class left the room. They dropped the class and went to register for something else. Not I. I learned my lesson, you don't quit. Did not make my best grade, probably should have. That probably should have been worth a quit, but I didn't. I, I'm just telling you that this is, that moment taught me something very profound. You don't quit. You don't give up. I, if I feel that much shame over quitting a baseball team 35 years ago, how much worse would it be to quit on Jesus? Like if, I, if, if, if the church and my church is my team, this is my team, 
how much worse would it be to quit on you? Like, the gospel's not a game. It's my mission. How much worse would it be to quit my mission than it is quitting a baseball game? Folks, I'm telling you, this is not an option. It's not an option for me. I'm not going to quit. I can't quit. It's not an option. There are people all around me that are grieving and they're heartbroken and they have addictions and their marriages are in trouble and, and some children are growing up without loving parents and there's all this hurt all around me. I can't quit. It's not an option. There are people that are hurting Folks, all around you, all around us in our town, people that are poor and they're desperate and they don't, they're living without hope. They're still in their sin. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have a seat prepared for them yet in glory. Quitting is not an option. Endure. Endure through it all. Endure every last bit of it for the eternal good of others. That's the charge. The motivations are remember your Savior. Remember the mission that it is for the good of others. And the third one, remember the promise. The third one is remember the promise. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says, if we have died with him, him referring to Jesus, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So if you've been united to Christ and baptized into Christ, like if you've been immersed into Christ through faith, we will live with him forever and ever. And it continues, if we endure, there's that word, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So if we're servants in this life, he promises status in the life to come. He goes on from there, if we deny him, he will also deny us. And it ends with, if we are faithless, this is beautiful. He remains faithful. So here's the motivation. The reason we don't quit on God is because he promises never to quit on us. Psalm 136 is so beautiful. It, it repeats over and over, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. If you have placed your faith in Christ, his steadfast love endures to you forever. If you've given your life over to him, you've been healed from your sin, the consequences of your sin. He will never forsake you. He will never turn your back on you. You cannot out the grace of God. If you've yielded to him, you'll reign with him. If you've confessed your sin and repented from him and trusted in the cross and trusted in the empty tomb, he promised, says, eternal life. And not if but when you fail, and when you backslide, and when you sin, God is always there saying, I will always be faithful to you. If for no other reason, endure, endure for the faith, because a God is there that does not give up on us. Remember your Savior. Remember your charge. Remember God's promises. His loyalty and his goodness toward us is not dependent upon our perfect obedience. It's dependent upon his perfect grace. Remember God's 
promise. Be inspired. Be compelled. Be stirred up. Live for the glory of God. Live for the eternal good of others. Endure this. It's hard. God knows. Endure it. Now build an endurance up for more and more. And just like I said at the beginning, physical endurance requires running. I need to run more in order to run more. So the calling is always more. Love more that you may love more. Give more that you may give more. Serve more that you may serve more. Always more. God's grace always calls us to more, to more, to greater, to better, to be in living sacrifice. So I'm going to ask you all just to bow your heads and I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect, to respond personally. You may be here this morning and you've never stepped into the life you've you've heard maybe about jesus and the cross but you've never really put your faith in him if that's you i would ask you where you are in the silence of your own heart just to respond to the lord we're not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that it's a prayer it's between you and god to turn from your sin and turn to him and give your life to such a wonderful gracious savior if you are a Christian, maybe you're realizing this morning that there hasn't been much enduring to your life because there hasn't been much real gospel effort to your life. What are some areas he's calling you to push and to strive? Is it loving someone in particular? Is it serving at the church? Is it going on a mission trip? Like what, what is holding you back from the life that God has called you to live? Are you taking steps toward building endurance, the spiritual gospel endurance? What are those steps you need to take? Maybe it's join one of our small groups in our Bible study to learn more. Maybe it is to volunteer. Gracious Father, you are good. You are wonderful, benevolent, kind and gracious. You are patient. You call us into something greater than this world offers. You call us to be a part of something greater than what we try to make our lives, Lord. You call us into something that's of infinite worth and of eternal value and that is to live for you and your glory to know you to know the riches of your kindness lord and to help others to likewise know that but i thank you for the cross of jesus thank you for that sacrifice lord the taking away of our sin and paying for it giving us an opportunity to just simply believe lord that it's not by our efforts but it's by belief in jesus that we are forgiven and spared and called into this life of abundance that you freely offer. I give you 
prays for that empty tomb. What wonderful power that is, Lord, that you defeated and conquered death. That it does bring hope to bear upon our lives. That there is a promise of a better future that you will provide. Lord, I ask that if there's anyone in the room who's never given their hearts to you, that they would do so now. That they would embrace your grace. That they would hug it in tightly. That they would turn from a former life, Lord, and now enter into a life of life. And I pray for all of us that we would be inspired and compelled today. That we would live, Lord, that we would endure, that we would work, that we would serve, that we would sacrifice, that we would give, that we would love in such a way that you are honored and others are helped. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.